All right, good morning, church family. How's everyone doing? It's good to see your beautiful faces this morning. All right, we are in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14. If you're new this morning, I want to welcome you. I'm honored that you're actually here with us, spending time with us this morning. If you're welcoming, if you're online, we want to welcome you also. We're so glad that you're here. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. We've been there for a while. We're going to continue to go through Mark chapter 14. Last week, if you remember, in the mid, we were kind of in the middle of uh, Mark chapter 14, and we looked at Jesus. Uh, we had communion together, which was great, and then we actually looked at Jesus going with, uh, to, with his disciples to pray in the garden. We looked at Peter's betrayal, uh, of, well, betrayal later on, but early on he just fell asleep with the other disciples, and then later on when they, Jesus is arrested, him and the other disciples, they all run away, right? So we looked at Jesus kind of, or looked at Peter abandoning Jesus and the betrayal that he felt. Um, I was really happy to be able to do communion. That was the first time we were able to do it since COVID started. I thought it went really well. I hope it was edifying um, for your hearts. But this morning, we're going to be in Mark 14, 53 to 72. So we're going to finish out the chapter. I'm, the reading portion is going to be from verse 61 to 72. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Um, and just for some context, so Jesus had just been arrested, that's where we left off last week, and now he's being put on trial. Like he's before uh, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, and they're all kind of bringing witnesses and, and accusations against him. So if you are able to, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to start in verse 61. We stand for the reading of God's word just as a way to show honor and respect for it. So you can follow along with me, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 61. But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. That's God's word for us this morning. Thank you. you may be seated. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I confess that I need you this morning, Holy Spirit, to speak through me. We pray that you would be the teacher this morning, that I would get out of the way, that you would soften people's hearts, receive your word. Um, I pray that you would minister to each here, that you would bring uh, conviction wherever they need it. Um, Lord, that things that are um, not of you, they, they would be able to shake off and not hear. They would only receive what you have for each here this morning. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I, ha I never knew my great-grandfather. Uh, on my mother's side, my, my mother's mother's father. Never met him. He, he had passed away before I was, uh, before I was born. And uh, I did know my great-great-grandmother, my great though. Her name was Grammy Elsie. She, had, uh, she was a little lady. She had red, kind of curly hair. 
Uh, I, I actually have some streaks of red in my hair and my beard, although more and more it feels like gray and white. Um, but, but that's where I got my red streaks from, was, was from her. Like She had this red hair. She's a precious little old lady. And I remember as, as a little kid, I, we would like go visit and we would, um, see, we would, I would see her and she would pull out. She'd be like, oh, let me, hold on, Joel, come here really quick. And she'd pull out a dollar for me and she'd be like, you just take this and you spend it. She'd always give me a dollar every time she saw me. And in her older age, she would give me more than one dollar a couple times, and I'd be like, Graham, you already gave me a dollar. It's, it's okay. Like, I'm not just going to take money from you all day. Anyway, so she's a very precious lady. She could make a mean pie. She's an amazing pie maker. I think it was kind of family recipe for our pie. But my grandma Elsie, when she was younger, uh, she lived in South San Francisco, which the weather is never nice there. Just so you guys know, it's always foggy, and there's more dead people buried there than there are alive people. Anyways, that's South San Francisco. Uh, she, that's where she grew up, and her husband worked for the fire department, right? And so this is the, my great-grandfather I never met. And apparently, when the kids were young, I think, I, I think it was about in her 30s, when the kids were young, uh, he worked for the fire department, came home one day and said, I'm leaving, and he left, just gone. And he left for, I think it was eight, like 18 months, around that amount of time. Not a word. She had no idea where he went, and then he just came back. No idea what he was up to. I mean, this was, these were not believers or anything like that. He just came back, and my great-grandmother welcomed him back into the home and never spoke a word about it, right? That, that was the kind of marriage they had, the life that they had. It was the time they lived in. And it came, my, my great-grandfather, I guess he had cancer of some kind of illness, and he was dying, and he was on his hospital bed. And... Uh, essentially, he was suffering, but he would not die. Um, the doctors are like, his, his vitals are not good, like he's suffering, but he won't die. He held on for a month. For a whole month, he fought to live. He just would not be at peace, and he would not die. And finally, the doctor came to, to my grandma Elsie, and, and he said, I don't know what this man's story is. I don't know what his, his life is, but there must be something unresolved in his life that he needs to deal with. Um, so could you, I don't know what it is, but could you maybe help him? So my grandma Elsie went to his hospital room um, one evening, and she sat by his bed, grabbed his hand, and said, I forgive you. I forgive you for walking out on the family for 18 months. I forgive you. A couple days later, he died. Finally, in that moment when he was able to receive forgiveness from my grandmother, he was at peace. And I tell you this morning, this story, because what we see from the text today is that forgiveness produces humble hearts. Forgiveness enables us to actually walk in humility and actually be at peace this morning. We're looking at two stories that are going on. We're going to look at Jesus' life and, and Peter's life. So Jesus is on trial. There's this intense moment where all these accusations are, are being flung at Jesus. And, and simultaneously at the same time, Peter is down below in the courtyard and he's receiving uh, all these, uh, um, he's receiving these uh, accusations that he knows Jesus, which are true accusations. And he is doing the opposite of what, of what Jesus is doing. He's denying those accusations. So we got two stories going on. We got Jesus's trial and Peter's denial, all right? We got Jesus's trial and Peter's denial going on at the same time. So for some historical context, so we actually understand what's going on with Jesus's trial and we're clear on it, I want, I want to look at a couple of things just in, in historically so we understand it. First of all, Jesus's trial is happening at night, all right? At nighttime, 
Like, you don't have a trial at late at night. That doesn't make any sense historically for the, you know, uh, for the Jewish uh, religious leaders. This isn't the appropriate conduct that you would have, that you would arrest someone at night and then you'd sneak them away and have a trial for them. Now, what's also going on is because it's late at night, not everyone is actually there, right? Not, uh, not all the people are actually, the religious leaders are actually able to be there in, the, in this moment. So you have the people really that hate Jesus, that have arrested him because of what Judas has done, and now he's on trial. So you have the the anti-Jesus people, religious leaders, all there, okay? And what you really have going on, a simple way to say it today, is you have mob justice. You have this mob of people that have come and taken Jesus, and they're putting him on trial. Now, according to Jewish law, you needed two or three witnesses, reliable witnesses, in order to condemn someone to death. But... According to the text, they don't have it. The, the witnesses' testimonies are inconsistent and, and all of their accusations are not able to, to stick um, to Jesus. They're, they're totally inconsistent. They misquote him and, 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 and essentially Jesus is sitting there just silent. He's just quietly not arguing with them, not debating them, so much so that the part that we read, we see that the high priest comes and he's like, what do you have to say for yourself? And Jesus is quiet and he's like, are you or are you not? The Messiah. That's essentially the question that the high priest is, is going to ask Jesus that we looked at. So understand, what is happening right now is, is a grave injustice. Even according to Jewish law, according to Roman law, all this stuff, there is an incredible amount of injustice happening right now at Jesus' trial as, as we look at the story. Now, understand, as the high priest comes to Jesus, okay, he asks him this question, are you, and this is when Jesus finally responds, Are you, essentially, the Son of God? Are you the Messiah, is what he's asking him. And Jesus responds with, like, the mic drop of all mic drops. He says, I am. All right, now, for us, we can really, I think I even read through it pretty fast. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man. All right, but when he says, I am, he's saying so much more than what it just means for us if we just look at it in English. What he's saying as he's saying, I am, he's declaring that he is God. You see, in Jewish tradition, back in the Old Testament, when, when, uh, they were, when uh, God spoke to his people and they asked him, how should we, how should we uh, you know, address you? What should we call you? Who should we say is sending us? And he says, say that I am is sending you. That, that's God's name for, for himself is that I am. The idea that he was and is and always will be, he just is. I am. That is the name that, that God tells his people to refer to him him as. So what Jesus is saying when he says, I am, he's saying, I was the voice in the burning bush. I'm the, I'm the one who led you out of Egypt. I'm the one who established uh, David's kingdom. He is, I am. And so what he's saying to the high priest in this moment is, I am God. And that's why the high priest, he tears his garments, he goes crazy because he's like, this is blasphemy. No one can, no one, you can't be God. You're not the Messiah. Why? Because he doesn't look the way that the, the, the high priest expects him to look. They have this expectation that the Messiah is going to be this conquering king. And all through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus be the suffering servant. Right? And so his expectation, it's impossible for him to be the Messiah. There's no way it's blasphemy to say that you are God. Like, and, and, and that's why right there in that moment, Jesus is completely innocent. None of the accusations stick to him. Nothing that he's done is actually accounted for. Like, they can't bring a criminal charge against him. But when Jesus says, I am, blasphemy is the only thing, is the only thing that is going to get him the death penalty. 
And not only that, it, it wasn't, it, they couldn't, the, the Jews didn't have the right to crucify Jesus. Under their courts, they could not crucify. What they could have done is they could have stoned Jesus, but they could not crucify him. But what I want you to understand, and this is important for our faith, for us as followers of Jesus, we need to understand this. By Jesus responding, I am, he chooses the cross. That's the only thing he could have said in that moment that guaranteed him the death penalty. It was that blasphemy that it was a guaranteed death sentence for him. So when Jesus responds, I am, he has each of you in mind and says, I choose to go to the cross for you. And we talked about this last week, but to pour out his blood for his body to be broken for our sins, like he chooses to go there for us. All right? So it's not some scandal or accident that Jesus ends up, he makes the choice by making this statement, declaring who he is. Jesus ends up being crucified, not because of what he's done, but because of who he is and the fact that the people can't accept it. All right, so understand, that's what's going on. At the same time, you have Peter down below. Now, Peter, he, he adamantly, he tells the story of how he adamantly denies Jesus. Remember, as we've looked through Mark, we understand that Mark is telling the story. You know, Peter's telling Mark the story. Mark's kind of recording it. And so it's really the gospel through Peter's kind of eyes, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. But this is, you know, Peter saying, make sure this story is in there. And as we look through 14, I mean, Peter does not look very great. I mean, if if we're honest, we look at the whole Gospel of Mark. Peter doesn't look super awesome, right? I mean, in Mark 14, he fell asleep on Jesus after saying, I'll never leave. You're like, I'm there for you. I'll go to the grave with you. Peter, no, no, no. Peter falls asleep while Jesus is trying to pray. And then they come to arrest Jesus, right? You know, G Peter had just said, Jesus, I'll go with you to the grave. All the people come and arrest Jesus. And Peter, like, he gone, right? Like, he's just, he's gone in that moment. Just totally abandoned him. And now, as Jesus is on trial, think about the contrast. Jesus is on trial receiving all these false accusations. This servant girl is telling the truth about who Peter is and what he's done. He's like, nope, I'm just going to lie. I swear, I don't know that guy. Nope, I'm going to deny him over and over again, right? For, I mean, for me, I don't know about you guys, but this would be like the most shameful moment in my life. To deny Christ, I mean, for Peter, as Peter writes this, I mean, this is years later, he, he's an established leader in the church, and yet he's telling everyone, yeah, this was me, this is my story, I deny Christ. How, why did, why would he do that? I mean, he's the author, he could conveniently leave out, leave that out. I mean, Peter could have made himself look pretty awesome in the Gospels, but that's not the case. Why is that? How could he do that? Like, if you were writing your, your biography, would you leave the most, like, would you put in the most embarrassing, shameful moments? Or you conveniently leave those out? Probably leave them out, right? I mean, that, that's the reality. But Peter puts in these most shameful moments. And I'm going to tell you why. Because he writes from the other side of the cross. Right? He writes from Jesus' resurrection. He writes with an understanding that his identity is not in the fact that he failed Jesus and denied him. His identity is in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. His identity is in Christ. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced kind of mass embarrassment or shame like this, but it can mess with you. I remember in high school, I loved to play basketball. Um, I loved to play basketball when I was young, middle school, all the way through high school. Played for my varsity team and was the captain of the team, like, was really, basketball was my identity, if I'm honest, okay? We went down to play our school rivals, traveled two hours to get there, it's on a Saturday, a bunch of games, and finally the big game of the night, two varsity teams are playing each other, gyms packed out, 
we're ready to go. And this guy, on a fast break, he goes down the court. He is flying. And I'm like, I'm going to get him. So I, I cut around, and I'm flying as fast as I can. He goes up for a layup. I jump up in the air, and I like almost like palm and throw his ball. I block his shot so hard. It hits the gym doors. The whole gym goes, oh! So crazy, right? It's amazing. I am like thinking I'm so awesome in this moment. I grab the ball. They pass it into me. I'm dribbling up the court. I'm feeling so cool in this moment. I'm like, you know what? I'm on fire. Let me just pull up for a three-point shot right here. About a foot short of the basket. Air ball. Whole gym laughs. Whole gym laughs. Even the home crowd. Everyone's laughing at me in this moment. I go from, from hero to zero, like in that moment, right away. Right? And, if, and, and, you know, 20 years ago, I would have not loved to tell this story, but I don't care now. You know why? Because my identity is not in basketball. It's in Jesus. Right? It's shameful, but it doesn't matter because I know who I am in Christ. And in this moment, obviously, Peter's, Peter's shame is much more than me making an air ball. But my point is this. He's, he's not afraid to tell that story because he understands and believes the gospel. If Jesus wasn't the Messiah, we, we would have never had Peter's story of denial. Think about that. If Jesus wasn't really who he said he was, then Peter would have never told the shameful story of how he denied Jesus, right? Peter can tell his story because of the gospel. What Peter wants the original church to know is this. As people read this, they're being persecuted. They're suffering as they read the gospel of Mark. And he wants people to know as they're struggling with, maybe they denied Christ. Maybe uh, people came to arrest them. They denied that they were Christians. In the midst of that, Peter wants people to know, hey, if Jesus can forgive me, the guy who fell asleep, the guy who ran away, if he can forgive the guy who denied him publicly three times, he certainly can forgive you. Certainly can forgive you. And, And look at how this plays out. If you want, you can turn with me to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. This is after Jesus has, has resurrected. He's having breakfast with his disciples. And it's a recorded conversation that Jesus has with Peter. I'm going to start in verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and people think he's, he's looking at the rest of the disciples that are sitting there with him. And, and he's saying, do, do you love me more than, than, your, than, all, than everyone else here? Like, do you love me more than you love John, more than you love James? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time. Peter, in this moment, he knows that Jesus is referencing the fact that, that Peter had denied him three times. Jesus said it was going to happen, and now he's referencing back to it. That's why he's asking him three times. And, and Peter knows this in his heart, and the text tells us he's grieved. He's, he's broken over this. He says, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. Peter's like, I know, Jesus, that, that you know that I denied you. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, when you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. That's how Peter began to follow Jesus. Jesus said simply to him, he called him, he said, Peter, follow me. 
In, that, in this moment, Peter, it, it, Jesus gives Peter his identity back. Instead of the shame, Jesus is saying, look, I paid for that on the cross. It's not that you can't follow me anymore because you denied me, because you abandoned me. No, 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 I paid for that on the cross. Peter, my call, I'm reaffirming my call to you to follow me, to be a leader in the church. How will you respond? Will you receive? Will you answer? Will you make your identity in me? Not in what you've done. Will you follow me. See, follow me redefines Peter in this moment. He's excited that Jesus is resurrected, but there's still this shame. I, I doubt the first thing that he, he said to Jesus was, while you were on trial being, pers- being prosecuted, like I was denying you, just, just so you know. He was ashamed of that. This is not the first thing he's going to tell Jesus. And Jesus looks at him lovingly and says, listen, Peter, I, I know. And he reaffirms his call for Peter. See, Jesus extends forgiveness to Peter. And I guess the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, for a lot of us, I think our struggle is we can't forgive ourselves. Like there's things that we've done, there's things that we're so ashamed of that we're, we're not able to forgive ourselves. We're saying, well, I, I know, but if you only knew what I did, like I don't know if Jesus could forgive that. And the truth of the matter is he, he can. Like it, it's Jesus, it's his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. What do you think that you've done is so bad that the Son of God, the Son of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, go to the cross, his blood, the Son of God's blood is not enough to cover your sin. There's, there's no way, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Peter's point here is if, if Jesus can forgive me, he can certainly forgive you. So do you need to forgive yourself? You need to ask for forgiveness from Christ. Do you, do you need to receive forgiveness? And maybe are you withholding forgiveness from someone? Maybe you're the one who's withholding forgiveness over someone's head and you need to, to let it go. Maybe you're like my, my grandma Elsie who hadn't given her forgiveness to my great-grandfather. And someone's not able to be at peace because of it. Are you able to, to extend that forgiveness? What is it that you think you've done that Jesus' death, his body broken, and his blood can't cover? Because I'm telling you the good news of the gospel is there's nothing. Listen, church, you do not have to be hardcore to follow Jesus. You have to be humble. You do not have to be hardcore to follow Jesus. You need to be humble. Jesus was hardcore for you. He went to the cross. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. You don't have to be hardcore to follow Jesus. You've got to be humble. Peter, on his own strength, in his own pride, he abandons Jesus. Thinking he's awesome, he falls asleep on Jesus. Thinking he will follow Jesus to the grave, runs away as soon as Jesus is arrested thinking he's going to be awesome and, and be one of the, the great leaders and sit at the right hand of Jesus. No, 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 no. Peter, while Jesus is being prosecuted, denies Jesus. That's what Peter does on his own strength. That's what Peter does when he tries to be hardcore and prideful. He runs away and denies Jesus. But look at this, the other side of the cross, after Jesus has affirmed him in John 21. If you turn to Acts chapter 4 with me really quick, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost comes, and Peter actually proclaims the gospel. He's the first one, the denier of Jesus, the abandoner of Jesus, the guy who fell asleep on Jesus. He's the first one to proclaim the gospel as the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, I'm going to read it for you. Peter is standing before the Sanhedrin, before these religious leaders, the very people that crucified and killed his friend and Savior, Jesus. 
He's standing before these people, being questioned by them. And his response is this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, they just healed a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all people of Israel, that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which he has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, Peter, full of this Holy Spirit, is bold. He proclaims to the very people who killed Jesus, like, listen, let me, let me reaffirm to you who Jesus was. You killed him, but let me tell you, he's the cornerstone. And a couple paragraphs later, if you follow the book of Acts, after doing this, you would think this is incredibly brave, this is incredibly hardcore. What, he, what they do, what the believers do, is they pray for more boldness. Like, that's their response, not we're awesome, we're, we're doing all this stuff, there's this movement we've established. No, no, no. They say, Holy Spirit, help us be bold. See the difference? Peter, on, on his own strength and pride, fails. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, humbled before the Lord full of the Holy Spirit, is incredibly bold and does great things for the kingdom of God. Not because he's hardcore, but because he's humble. Church, you don't have to be hardcore to follow Jesus. You need to be humble. What does that look like? What does it look like to actually be humble? It's very simple. You simply have to confess that you need help. To say, I need this. I don't have this all figured out. I don't got this. I need help. Maybe, it's, maybe it could be a sin issue in your life. I need help with my frustration. I need help with my anger in this season. I'm just angry about everything. Holy Spirit, help me. Maybe it's your bitterness. I'm holding on to this bitterness. Holy Spirit, help me take this bitterness. Maybe it's you need to extend forgiveness. Holy Spirit, I can't forgive on my own. I need your help to extend forgiveness. Humility is simply saying, I don't got this. I need help. I need someone else's help. I'm not the expert here. I need someone's help. And that help comes from the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, guys, it's not the fruit of Joel, or it's not the fruit of Peter. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's not what I've done. Like, it's what the Spirit produces in me. If I'm prideful, I think those spirit that's produced, or the fruit that's produced is, is, my, is what I've done. But the reality is, in humility, we say, no, Holy Spirit, I need you to produce patience, to produce kindness, to produce goodness in my heart, right? Guys, we need to walk in the humility that Jesus walked in. Jesus' response then to Peter as he's humbled, confesses his love, and essentially repents before Jesus. He says, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus' call to, to each of you this morning is to follow him, to follow Jesus. The invitation is there. Not that you would have to do it on your own strength like Peter tried to at first, but that you would do it on the strength of the Holy Spirit, that you would do it recognizing in humility, I don't got this. I need help. Whatever it is, it, could be, it can be your marriage. It could be loneliness. It could be so many different things, but you're just coming to the Lord saying, I need help. I don't got this. At the very root, at the very core of, of our belief in Jesus and our understanding of the gospel is this point of humility where we confess and say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I have been divided from God and I need to be reconciled back to Him. Something needs to be made right and the only way that it can be made right is through His Son, is through Jesus Christ and that's what Jesus does on the cross. The beginning point for us as followers of Jesus is humility. 
is humility. Forgiveness humbles our hearts. So I want to challenge us this week. My challenge is, is pretty simple. It's just to take time to say out loud, Jesus, I need your help with. Holy Spirit, I need your help with, and you fill in the blank. What is your struggle? What have you been trying to control for so long on your own that, that you just you won't give it up, but in humility you need to say, I thought I had control of this, but I need help with my frustration, with my anger, with my lust, with my bitterness, whatever, whatever it is. What are, what are you willing to say? Like, I need Jesus, I need help. With, and say it out loud. Get alone by yourself, that's fine. Maybe you need to say it to a friend or a spouse to, for some accountability, but confess you need help. You need the Holy Spirit to help you with whatever it is. My heart, church, is that we would be a humble people, full of, of grace and truth. As a church, that we would be marked by that, that we would walk in humility, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and truth. For people, I, my heart would be that we would each, each as a church, respond to Jesus' invitation to follow Him with, with a yes, Lord. I need Your help in these areas, Holy Spirit. Guide me in these areas. I need Your help. My heart is that we would be a humble people that follow Jesus. That we would be a people that that offers forgiveness, that leads in humility by extending forgiveness to others, and in our forgiveness that we would draw people to the kingdom of God, that we would draw people to Jesus by demonstrating Jesus' character, the power of his spirit, that we would draw people to him. We would be a people that we would lead in humility. Because here's, here's the reality. Like my great-great-grandfather, who was not able to be at peace until he received forgiveness and walked in humility, I would say it's the same for us. If you're struggling with, with not being at peace, not being at rest, with being restless, maybe especially in the season with, with COVID and politics and everything going on. If you're struggling, I would say, are you able to walk in forgiveness and humility? Are you able to extend forgiveness and walk with humility? Are those social media posts just driving you crazy? Are you mad because someone posted something three months ago and you just haven't been able to extend forgiveness or let it go? My heart is that we would be a people full of grace and truth, that we would extend forgiveness and we would walk humbly as we follow Jesus. Will you pray with me, church, as the worship team comes to close us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his example. We thank you that, we thank you that you're a forgiving God, that you love us deeply, the power of the gospel is that we don't have to walk in shame, that Jesus paid for our shame, our embarrassment at the cross, that he paid for our sin on the cross, Lord. And we can rest in our identity being in him. And because of that, Jesus, because we've been forgiven of so much, God, we, we can, and we've seen how you've extended forgiveness to us, God, let us be people that offer forgiveness to others, that walk in, in humility. Pray, Heavenly Father, that we wouldn't try to do it in our own strength, that we wouldn't walk in pride like, like Peter does in the first half of, of, this, of his life, but instead that we would walk in humility as he does in his second half, confessing in our hearts that we don't have it figured out. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need your help to love you. We need your help to love others, and we need your help to make disciples. Help us to be a humble people, loving one another, extending forgiveness to one another. 
We don't want to try to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit on our own strength. We need the Spirit's strength to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.